Hello, hello. Welcome to Ami Tuckered Out. My name is Ami and I am your host. I am still solo since my co-host Nazar is still changing or figuring out how to change diapers. But that's okay because my guest today is an old friend that I worked with about 18 years ago on her film set. Lisa Ronnie Ray is an Indian-Canadian internationally acclaimed performer, philanthropist, author, and public speaker with a reputation for taking on challenging, issue-oriented films. She has a career that spans three decades and several continents and has seriously done it all. Please enjoy my interview with my friend, Lisa Ray. So, Lisa, I know you've been interviewed a billion times over the past... 30, 40 years of your career. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I've, I've been reading about you, catching up with your life the past week. And I just thought, the first thing I thought was, how am I going to interview her and get all this in in one hour? Because you have done a lot of shit. <laughs> like, a lot. So I kind of wanted to start off, I feel, you know, I feel like, you know, we had... We, we've connected. We've worked together. Uh, well, you know, I, I kind of mm-hmm. worked. I was just making coffee on set. But um, yeah, <laughs> I just kind of wanted to make this a fun conversation about things maybe that you haven't talked about. You know, there's a lot of things we do. I do want to hit on, including your memoir and, and current projects, of course. Um, Which is going to be releasing in the U.S. <gasps> uh, later this year. Okay. That's in my notes. Yay. I'm so excited. Um, and I got it. I ordered it. Yes. So I'm very excited. Um and I read through the Yellow Diaries. Anyways, we'll get through all that. Um, mm-hmm. But I wanted to start off with childhood because childhood is key. Mm-hmm. Um, and you grew up with a Bengali father, a Polish mother. And I'm very, I'm always interested in finding out about how parents met, especially back then when right. our, our parents didn't marry outside the culture. So how did your parents meet? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I mean, let me just sort of uh, preface it with saying that I have actually rediscovered a lot of my lineage and heritage by writing my memoir, Close to the Bone, because I had to go in there and ask a lot of questions and um, detectify if that's a word. It's a word. It's a word word now. now. It's a word. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, And even sort of press my father on a lot of on a lot of um, family mythology that, you know, you sort of accept as a child, you don't really question or examine it. And, um, and even in the course of all of our recent travels, I've also unearthed all of my parents' love letters. Aww. It's like a time capsule. It's so touching. Please and tell, me, please tell me that's going to be a book. You know, it deserves its own book. Uh, I'm working on my next book. I'm trying to figure out if I can either incorporate that into this one or then just just dedicate, uh, you know, an entire book to that. It's so worthwhile. But, but you know, uh, so what I realized in the course of all of this and also writing is is kind of a very cathartic, obviously, experience as well, especially when you're writing about yourself, is that as much as I used to think when I was young, stupid, and youthful that I was the first rebel of the family. Nobody can understand me. Blah, blah, blah. My parents were actually the first and most rebellious of, uh, you know, uh, first examples of rebellion in my life. 
And they were so incredibly, uh, I guess, they were such pioneers and so pathbreaking in taking the decisions that they took that, you know, you have to put into the context. Of course, today, mixed marriages are no big deal. Yeah. But in the 1960s, for, uh, for a Bengali Brahmin family from a, you know, sort of a, a particular cultural background, who was studying for his PhD in England at that time, for him to meet a Polish woman, someone who's so far from his cultural context, and not just meet her, uh, romance her, and then marry her, was, I, I'm sure it a was just deal. A, a game-changing yeah. kind of a decision. And, uh, you know, so I, I'm seeing my parents through that lens now as sort of these uh, incredibly free-spirited. I mean, we don't often attach these kinds of these kinds of descriptions to our parents for whatever reason, particularly when we're younger. Yeah, of course not. Disciplinarians. Yeah. And, and we, we need something to rebel against. And it's often, for in my case, it was my mother. Um, but so essentially that's what happened. My father was studying for his PhD and he, um, he was a, he was a member of his, uh, students, uh, it was a Bengali students association. Okay. And they used to sing Rabindranath Sangeet, which is, yep. you know, as quintessentially Bengali, Bengali. or Bong as it gets. Mm -hmm. And also in those days, all the Bengali intellectuals were what I call armchair Marxists. Yeah. You know, yeah. because Bengal love, was was that. was communist for a long time. Yeah. And so they were very fascinated by this system of like sort of a shared economy and a shared humanity, and they idealized it. So my essentially my father used to travel with this organization into Eastern Bloc countries every summer. Okay. Just sing Rabindranath Sangeet. And I just think it's so, such a fascinating visual. I can I kind of in my mind's eye picture all of these beautiful caramel colored young idealists yeah. wearing three-piece suits and walking up and down the streets of Poland and, you know, in, in Ukraine and, and Russia. I wish I mean, there was the photographs in those days. Did you get, is there any photographs of this? I don't, I do not have any photographic okay. evidence okay. of that time. Okay. But yeah, but I, I can see it in my mind. You yeah. know, I have a pretty, I have a pretty um, active imagination. Yeah. So I see it in my mind. And um, so essentially he met my mother on the last day in Warsaw at a university. Okay. And he asked her to dance. He bought her some spiritus, bought her a drink. And my mother, sort of like my father, because my father was a little bit of a um, stranger to his own culture. Okay. Because in those days, my father's very punctual. He has a lot of integrity, stands by his word. He found it very difficult at that time in India to thrive. You know, it was a very different kind of value system. Sure. Even though my, my grandfather was a judge. And so there was a very sort of um, <clears throat> slightly righteous uh, upbringing mm -hmm. in, in his household. But things like punctuality were not necessarily, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Uh, esteemed, esteemed well, or valued. Especially and, in know, Indian culture. They're still not in India. Yeah. They're still not we, in India. We need IST time, Lisa. Right? Yes, of course. You know, yes. I can say it, you know, I'm pretty much more Indian than anything else today. So, so essentially he met my mother. They couldn't speak each other's languages. I don't know exactly what happened. And then they kept in touch via letters oh, and then the next summer he went back 
And remember, this was when Poland was behind the Iron Curtain. Yeah. So there was, uh, you know, uh, travel was really restricted. Um, even as their relationship deepened, it was still a big, a bit of an issue to to be able to figure out how my mom was going to get out of Poland. But yeah. eventually, they did, and uh, <clears throat> and they got married in England and they began their life. But my father did have to defy his family. My mother, in her own way, defied her family. And even though my mother was accepted, uh, you know, I mean, I spent a lot of my childhood in Calcutta, and yeah. she was very much part of that huge eclectic kind Craziness. of joint family yeah. crazy that that I really cherished as a kid because I'm an only child so she she really um endeared herself to my father's family and she loved India she wore saris just go marching Aww. into the bazaar and buy the muchli and the vegetables and negotiate and bargain and all of that even though she was embraced by the family what came to light and I wrote about all of this in close to the bone but what came to light uh, just a few years ago is my uh, my grandmother my uh, finally passed away. Okay. Uh, at ninety six, my grandfather had passed away many many years before, and she passed away. And my father was in Calcutta then. He was spending the winters in Calcutta. So he, you know, the will was read out. All the family gathered. He comes from a family of like four brothers, four sisters. Yeah. And what came to light is that he had been written out of the will. Oh, Lord. And because he had married my mother, it was a very, very sort of clear message from the mm -hmm. past. And it was really shocking. Not that obviously we, we, we didn't require anything material from his family. Yeah, it's more the emotional but it was just shocking. Yeah. But it was so shocking that his father saw him that way because in some sense he was the blue-eyed boy of the family. He was yeah. the, the cherished son. And that his this one decision could actually set off this ripple of of you know this ripple effect yeah. and these other decisions that that reached out and actually slapped us across the face even from the past. Well, I think for Indians, so it's that is, that is the decision, right? Marriage is at least back in the day that is the main decision for most families, and so that was one of the main decisions. And you know, I mean, I'm a little bit always, I'm a little bit hesitant also to narrate this uh, story because because my father also came from a very liberal, open minded. Sure. Uh, educated family uh, and there's a lot of contradiction in, in, in India however my personal experience of India has been maybe because of course I'm today I consider myself more of a, a Bombayite than than any I mean that's the city that that molded me that shaped yep. me I consider that my home more than anywhere else in the world well you, you answered one of my, my questions because I was about to I was going to ask you okay. at the end so Sorry, yeah, yeah. No, no. you know I just knew it it's I just knew good. it you knew it but, yeah. but you know in that way but the reason I'm bringing this up is that you know all of my friends all my circle of friends are extremely open-minded and and liberal and um you know sort of defy convention in their own way so I'm always a little bit hesitant about, or I try to paint paint a more broader, um, holistic picture of India. Because yeah. unfortunately, the headlines, the recent headlines in the last decade or so, are sensationalistic. I mean, there are obviously a lot of issues in India. There's a lot of patriarchal issues. There's a lot of issues uh, for women. It's being addressed also at a grassroots level. And because I 
you know, moved to India in 1991 and I've seen a huge cultural shift. Even though these things are happening, the fact that we're talking about it openly, the fact that it's being addressed is is a, a giant step in the right direction. Right. Because I lived in India in a time when nothing was ever discussed. Yeah. It was swept under the carpet. Oh, yeah, no. We're and glad. most people that I know, most people that I know, and like Bombay, Delhi, Bangalore, all the, the younger generation that are coming into, you know, and I'm in contact with them, uh, you know, when I, when I, work sure. in India because yeah. all of the young stylists and makeup artists and yeah. um <clears throat> uh and 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 hairdressers and PR and managers are all in their twenties. So uh, I get my dose of our twenties millennial kind of <laughs> millennial insights. And it's yeah. incredible. I'm really but you know I'm, sometimes they annoy me. Yeah. I, I'm not gonna lie. They're supposed to. And <laughs> it's fine. And they're supposed to yeah. and that's all good. And the and and there's another part of me that really is in awe of them because they're breaking a lot of cultural boundaries. They're living life on their own terms. They're really um, embodying the hope for India, you know, and a lot of them are really women are girls who are coming from other cities and setting up their households, living out their ambitions in a really, really difficult city in Bombay alone and on their own terms. Super tough. And that is huge. And we don't, here's the thing. We don't tell that story enough. We should. We don't talk about that aspect. Well, of you, India. Have, you have, and it really bothers you me. You have three books coming up, right, me. Lisa? <laughs> just, just. Throw, I do, I do. I, but I, don't, know, I don't know what I the mean, concept yeah, is, yeah. but I'm just throwing it out there. Just, yeah. Well, well, in close to the bone, I think I do sort of address this in my own, yeah, in my in own, your way, own way. way. Yes, no, we're no, we're getting to that for sure. Um, so. Mm-hmm. So that I love that, and I cannot wait to read the story about your parents in your in, in one of your books. Um, and then I love the fact that I learned you were a nerd, like you were really good in school. Mm. And like, of course, a lot of people have this perception of models and actresses and like whatever. But you, you had your shit together. Like you, you did well in high school. You're ready to go. And I guess I had a question because I I don't know. I never mm. I, I didn't read this anywhere. Did you have a anything in mind about what you want to do before the modeling and acting thing came up? Did you know what you yeah, wanted to do? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, uh, <clears throat> I was puzzling for a while as a teenager about the best profession, the best profession uh, where I would have the least human contact. I love that. Because <laughs> <That's laughs> right. one of my next points is that I know you're an introvert. So yes, continue. So, yeah. So I essentially, I wanted to become a writer okay. uh, and I've always wanted to write. Okay. And it's only, you know, I've only taken a detour of about 35 years. So call me a late bloomer or perhaps, you know, it was all field work. It was all field work, right? Okay. So you knew that even early on. Oh, I knew that. I've always been passionate about words okay. and, uh, you know, and I've, I've kept copious, am- a copious amount of journals throughout yeah. all these years, which is what I drew on to write the first book as well. Okay. But I, I mean, yeah, without a doubt and, and writing and, uh, you know, obviously by extension reading has always been my, my most steady companion yeah. through this very sort of eclectic lifestyle that I've had over, over the last uh, few decades. Um, my, my, my backup was, um, um, academia yeah. because I, I had this vision of it that, you know, I could just sit in some 
library somewhere and just grunt at anyone who wanted to speak at me. <laughs> the, uh, like the old man in the corner. It's totally fine. I love yeah, that. Yeah, pretty much. So pretty much. I, I know you had mentioned in, in another interview that your your biggest professional moments happened through serendipity. And obviously that started from the beginning. You got discovered in India on a vacation. You didn't mm-hmm. go there searching for it. Um, and again, as an introvert, do you have any recollection of how you felt getting that first public recognition? Was that like, this is, I don't like this? Or like, how did you feel? Yeah, actually, that's a great question. Uh, The thing is that my life, you know, that's why I call myself a a so-called accidental actor. And it's just not one of those cute kind of little lines that I've thought up for myself. Uh, serendipity has really marked my life starting with my career, which is why I'm terrible at giving career advice because I often tell, you know, young kids who come to me, I say, I have no clue how I got here. <laughs> so please don't ask me, but you're like, Bhagavan, help me here. I have no idea. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I was, I was about 16 years old, remember? And, you know, obviously, you know, at 16, what do you know? When I was, I, I'm just going to, I'm just going to sort of give you the context. Yeah. When I was on, in, on vacation in India with my parents and someone literally sort of saw me, do you want a model? Sure. Why not? Because I was just curious as well. Obviously I was filled with a sense of wonder. And as a teenager, you've got a lot of issues with your self-esteem and the fact that somebody, you know, gives you that amount of attention overrode my introverted qualities, you could say. And the other thing is that uh, I want to say not just introvert, but I've always been sort of a a little bit of an observer. I have this aspect uh, to be able to be in a situation and be watching the situation outside myself, like witnessing it. And uh, so I thought, okay, yay, it's an interesting adventure. So I did it and forgot about it, went back to Canada to begin university. And that fall... um, sorry, that late summer, my family and I were involved in a very, very serious car accident that really marked, uh, you know, the, in that sense, the kismet of the Mm -hmm. next phase of my life. Because simultaneously, while my mother was fighting for her life in a hospital in Toronto, my images were released on the cover of a magazine in India at that time called Glad Rags. Rags. And I became this overnight sensation that was like your iconic Uh, swimsuit issue like cover right like that was the big like exactly exactly and there just wasn't yeah yeah and it's but it was surreal I wasn't in India I had no clue uh I heard stories about you know the billboard was there on marine drive and you know there were car accidents and all these bizarre things because India had not seen that kind of imagery you know, it, it was still just, it was 1991 and the big economic uh, liberalization was just starting. And um, <clears throat> so, but, but here's a question. Here's something to muse. How would you know in 1991 that you were famous on the other side of the world? And it's so weird. Unless somebody an told yeah, you. Yeah, 100%. There's no, unless somebody called you up and told you. Did you have, remember, did you have any agents then? So, or did you have anyone there? No, no. nothing. Okay, nothing. No. Okay. no, nothing. I did all of this on, like on a lark okay. and then left. Wow. And then remember, at the same time as this is happening, we, my father and I have moved into the ICU because my mom was was fighting for her life. So it was so surreal. And that is how my career started. And it's very hard 
you know, again, for people to sort of maybe uh, understand that until I explain it in detail. And that's why I always say serendipity brought me into this line. I never, never anticipated. And so, but having said all of that, you know, once I return to India and you sort of start seeing your, your name being used and, 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 and uh, amplified everywhere and in, in newspaper articles and things like that, it was a very, very surreal experience. I won't lie, but here's the catch. There was Lisa Ray, the public image. Yep. That was a mask of sorts. It felt like all of these articles and even people I met were describing or interacting with somebody else mm-hmm. had nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. My public image had broken off from me and had become uh, like an actual distinct identity from me or a distinct sure. entity, a different entity. And I struggled with that for a long time. So in a sense, fame, I like saying was sort of, obviously it was, it was a blade that I walked um, you know, um, and it, it, it cut me very deeply on many different levels as well, because I was a young girl when you're 16, you don't know who the hell you are in the first place. And then people are telling you who you are. That's, that was, um, that was a very difficult time for me. That was a big struggle with my identity. Oh, I'm sure. And I, and I also feel like you probably had to separate your public image from who you are, uh, in real life, just to kind of survive. I mean, it's just like you're thrown in to uh, in the in the '90s, right? In in Bollywood, mm-hmm. right? Where I mean, I think you became the country's for one of the first supermodels there. I know you did the Afreen Afreen video. I know that's big, mm. and, and probably you're probably sick of talking about that. Um, and then you did your first Bollywood movie, um, and and it's the '90s, right? Where uh, well, it was like, the '90s. It was a very nothing particular. Was, nothing was talked it was, about, it was also right? An, like in terms of women and and uh, and women in in the Bollywood industry, and it seems it seemed like a, an aggressive male dominated environment. It was a very patriarchal environment. However, having said that, one of the things that attracted me always to India, and maybe more specifically Mumbai. Bombay back in the day. Oh, yeah. I still call it yeah, Bombay. I, call but, Bombay uh, too. I, know. Uh, I, I I can't I can't call it anything but Bombay. It's hard <laughs> for me. But um not just Bombay, but one thing that always attracted me to India was the women that I met. And in my experience, the women that I interacted with across a you know, a real cross section of society and backgrounds, they were incredibly strong. Okay dynamic I felt that they actually combined they had this unique combination between this fierceness and a kind of a a traditional softness of femininity sure and it was a fascinating combination for me and what I didn't realize because I was too young and unsubtle to realize it is that as much as the 90s really was and you know if you want to look specifically at even Bollywood it was so much about the hero and that's even mm-hmm. what I rebelled against and I hated it and I could never play the game and 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 suck up to these male actors I realized observing and meeting a lot of women that they held the power but it was a more subtle behind the throne power interesting they cleverly subverted they were able to subvert the power structure okay and and still 
basically, you know, lead a life on their own terms and get what they wanted. Okay. But, you know, it there was also a cost to that. Mm-hmm. You would have to often hide a lot of aspects of yourself. You would still have to, you know, sort of put on this mask and play yeah. this role. But but you were still able to subvert the power. And a lot of the women that I met were so incredibly powerful. So India has, again, this contradiction in and of itself. I'm sure you felt that as well, that... Very much. On one hand, obviously, I, I mean, India, what, what I love saying is India is just a trip. Trip. You know, yeah. India is a separate universe into and onto itself. I adore it. But it's also the antidote to um, everybody's, any anyone who's arrogant enough about their knowledge to think that they know about things, please come to India. Yeah, it'll slap you in the <laughs> face. It's going, to, it's going to shatter all your perceptions yeah. about just about anything in the I world. D- I do think that and about that's, that's important. Sure. Yeah, no, I, and I, you know, I didn't. But that's important. It and is. there's a lot of, so anyway, so, so sorry, just to, just to finish the thought. No, of course, it was, of course. It was these incredible women that I met. And, but, you know, I interacted with women, as I said, in a cross section, they were writers, they were, you know, they were CEOs or they were, um, uh, even, even if they were housewives or, or teaching etiquette to Miss India aspirants or whatever it was, they were incredibly uh, dynamic. They had these, these big personalities and a very, I think also a very strong sense of themselves. That as, again, a young girl who was struggling with her identity, I was very attracted to that. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, look, that's amazing to hear. Um, Because, yeah, my question was, how did you, how were you able to kind of stay grounded and stay true to yourself during that time? And you answered it by saying around no i wasn't woman. i wasn't as, as much as I possible mean, yeah, as much as possible yeah, as at, much at that as age possible. at that as age right like i know i i had a brief eight months in india in between when i met you and when i went to law school and i and i had done this rj stuff and blah 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 um and i ended up yeah. coming home but i mean even eight months there eight months of just doing small projects i lisa i learned a lot i was like wow that place will chew you up and spit you out. But I, I mean, I felt yeah. stronger, but yeah, just that small amount of that window. I was like, holy God, Bombay is, it's a beast. And you can fall in love with her <laughs> and you can also hate her, you know? So I definitely get it. No, um, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but it, it's, yeah, it was a fantastic experience for me for sure. And then, so, you know, you you went into, you were, you were there in the 90s. And then what was your transition kind of not back, because I know you kind of work globally, but you ended up working back in the U.S. doing Bollywood, Hollywood. I believe when we met, that's when kind of everything was happening with the Indian American desi scene, and and Indian American mm. actors were were showing up on screen. Um, how did you transition back into that, or were you just kind of going back and forth? Uh, well, I did finally take a conscious decision to leave uh, my Bombay bubble, and it was because I started feeling suffocated. And it was also due to a very toxic relationship that I was in. And also because I was not given the opportunities that I wanted to explore, which were, you know, small human dramas. Everything was still very mainstream, over the top, Bollywood. And and I was offered a lot of mainstream projects and I just couldn't do it. Yeah. it you know, that that's maybe where I, I, I was true to myself. It yeah. was a lot of money. There was a lot of opportunity. Could not, just could not say yes. And besides, 
as much as I like him, can I really, really see me gyrating with Govinda? I mean, it's just, <laughs> just, you know, it was the age of Govinda. Remember that. Please tell me you gyrated with Govinda. And, that would be amazing. <laughs> so I just, you know, I, I did have, look, even though I stumbled into this profession. Yeah. And I never, I, to this day, I don't even think of myself as an actor. I do not. I'm an explorer. I mean, I'm a writer. you have a postgraduate a degree in acting. Are you kidding? No, but it doesn't matter. It it honestly doesn't matter. First of all, obviously, I'm very touchy about labels. But if you want to label me, I'm a writer because I've been writing throughout okay. all of that as okay. well. And I never, you know, I just flowed wherever life took me. I didn't have a plan. Yeah. However, having said that, I did end up in London. Yep. And... um I wanted to explore this acting thing because, because it had opened up something inside me. So I had a lot of wounds. I never, uh, you know, I never confronted the trauma around my mom's accident. I just buried it and kept busy for a decade. So that was there. Um, I had a lot of bad relationships that I had not processed. I had well, actually one particular relationship. I had, uh, again, a lot of still self-esteem issues. I was dealing with an eating disorder. I was bulimic. And, you know, all of this was my attempt to run away from myself. And strangely, when I actually ended up doing a film called Kasur, the director of that film, Vikram Bhatt, actually opened up something inside me because he had a very, in, in those days, a very Western attitude towards um, performance. It was not an overtop of the performance. He was talking, he was using a language I'd never heard before. It's like, use your own pain in the scene and things like that. And I thought I was intrigued. So essentially, I used acting as therapy. It was a way of, uh, you know, because in order to really understand another character, you have to first understand yourself. And so I ended up going to drama school in London and that opened up and it literally was cathartic and therapeutic, therapeutic. for me. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't see it any other way. And I had no ambition when I went to, like, I enjoyed the process of acting yeah. and I didn't think about the end result. And that's how I've approached almost everything in my life. It's, yep. it's very maybe dharmic. To just do your dharma and then let go of what happens well, after that. Well, you're enjoying the journey, but I was, which is like what everyone is supposed to be doing. Everyone is supposed to be doing. Invest in the here and the yeah. now and, and, and the let presence. the future take care of itself. Exactly. You know, it's, it's, it's simple but very difficult. I understand mm. that because our society doesn't prepare us for that attitude. It's always like goals, what are your goals? And I yeah. have, I, even today, goals, if you ask goals. me, I have, I have no goals. I have no goals, but I know what I enjoy doing. I'm with you, my friend. I am with you. Right, yeah, right. Totally. And you need to explore. Totally, but anyway, yeah. so, so, so it was strange but, because the acting but became Lisa, very, very why, therapeutic. Why school though? Like why, 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 I mean, you were already acting, you're already being asked to be lead in roles at that point. Like why not continue acting? Why did you decide you had to like go study it? Well, because I recognized that there were parts of me that were very frozen. Okay. Um, and, you know, again, I had a lot of self-esteem issues. Okay. Because also I didn't know what the fuck I was doing as yeah. an actor as well. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. another thing. Solid. Okay. But but it, was, but it wasn't because I, I went to drama school not in order to have a career. I just got sucked into the process. And it was my first experience with slowing down for the first time in my life and confronting myself. Got it. Was, it. You know, uh, also very scary. But ironically, right out of 
or while I was still in drama school, I was offered water yes. by Deepa Mehta. I and and, oh, and that, so good. It's you so know, but good. completely unanticipated, completely unanticipated. And, but so meant and to that, be. And that's why, and that's why, well, that's why I use the word serendipity. It's been the biggest driving force in my life. Yeah, that's my and it's magic. Yeah. And there is a, there's a special alchemy. I think when you surrender, mm-hmm. when you work with passion in from the moment, from the present moment, yep. but you surrender the, the actual outcome. I think we don't talk about that enough in our society. And there's something very powerful there. There is something very powerful there. Um, and, and besides uh, water, of course, uh, absolutely. I think I've seen it 10 times. Um, and just, it makes me so happy that you took on this role that was obviously very challenging. The topic has not been discussed in India. I mean, you also mm. did role, I think it was called I, I Can't See Straight, right? With Shetal Shah, Shetal Shah. I Can't Think Straight. And it got so many awards. Yeah, and, and you played mm-hmm. a, a lesbian role. And I honestly, you know, besides knowing you, I just, you deserve mad respect because you have this penchant for issue-oriented roles and portrayals, right? And and, and this is a time in your Mm. career where I think a lot of actors wouldn't say no to things, you know? Like, they would just say yes. You're just beginning, you're trying to figure out what you're doing, and if you're getting offers, it's hard to say no to, and it's just super... and lack of better words, super cool that you were like, no, I'm I'm still going to pick and choose, even though I don't know exactly what I'm doing. But I just, it, it, seemed, like, well, it just seemed like you were following your gut, right? I mean, I don't know, right? Yeah. You could tell yeah. me. But from from the roles that I've, that I've read that you've played and I've seen you've played, they're not traditional roles all the time. And I think that's a major, major props to you and, and kind of your integrity as an actress and a performer. Hi, hi, hi. Hi, hi. I know, I know. You can cry later. It's fine. I know. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of, I I always get a little squeamish with all of this because I I mean, here's the thing. I know. Here's the thing. I know. Let me say, I I do practice gratitude. So thank you. I'm deeply appreciative of you recognizing that because, you know, it has been somewhat of a conscious decision. But at the same time, I don't know any other way of being. I'm just trying to be true to myself. I, I follow that path and and like I said, allow the universe to figure out everything else for me. Um and and those are the those are the are the characters and the roles that I was most attracted to. But at the same time, I never took uh, you know, I never considered my career to be the most important thing in my life or what I did in the yeah. world. Simultaneously to all of this, um, my spiritual life has been very important. I collect art. I travel extensively. Those were the things that fed me. And if anything, I would go off and do a film and then disappear for about six, seven, eight months and just do my own thing and explore. Um, and that was the rhythm of my life. And um, yeah. rhythm of my life. I just suddenly <laughs> heard that. Such a good my song. That. Oh my <laughs> Who God. Who was that, by the way? Um, That's 90s, one yeah. hit wonder, I think. So good. That was a, yeah. But you know, um, but that's you know the rhythm of your life. Elder you, Barge. Elder oh Barge. my God! So right. Okay, well, I'm playing that at the With end. The of, mullet. The, the mullet. Yes, at the, the end mullet. of this episode, Lisa, I'm going to play that for you. That's going to be our song. You know, I went to I went to DJ school in Delhi for six months when I moved there because I had nothing else to do, so I just DJed at house. You went to what school? DJ DJ school. Yeah. When I moved there with my husband, yeah, go. I practiced law in New York, and then we moved to Delhi in Gurgaon, for God's sake. And uh, he was busy working 18 hours a day. And I was like, huh, yeah, I don't want to practice law. And I'm in Gorgal. And I didn't 
like Delhi. So I was like, I'm going to become a DJ. And so I just went to DJ school for six months and then, awesome. and then DJ farm parties with all these rich kids. And it was ridiculous. And yeah, like, anyways, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm, pl- I'm playing that song for you at, at the end of this. But um, how rich is that? Isn't it great <laughs> to like also go off track? I mean, I, 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 you know, and you miss then, like if you are so about sticking to a plan, you know, I, I do think, I mean, of course there are certain professions yeah. I will allow because my, my husband is also in the corporate slash yes. startup world. I so think I our husbands it. can you become know, they good friends. Be they, they're on track. Yeah, I feel, yes. I, I, I know. So yes. I've learned a lot from that, but at the same time, there's always room for improvision. There's always room for allowing the unexpected and listen, if you don't respect the unexpected, you know, now is a good time to think about that respect the fact that everything is oh, yeah. is is changeable that For change sure. is the one constant and i think we forget that we yeah. forget that because totally. we are conditioned to keep planning our life and 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 have these goal posts and and you know treat our lives as kind of i don't know as this this chessboard yeah and yeah that's that's that for me doesn't really reflect um, and again I think, a really authentic way of living i think we're long lost cousins because my life is all about off track i have i am the most random all about the journey <laughs> whatever goals happen just your diagnosis was multiple myeloma is that what how's myeloma. myeloma 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 yes uh yes. 2009 and then you received a stem cell <clears throat> transplant. Um, mm-hmm. Do you, and I know you've been asked about this so many times, I don't want to keep on repeating the questions, but do, no, it's cool. do you remember the first person you talked to you about it? Uh, yes. Again, I've written about it. Um, well, my, my boyfriend at the time okay. was with me okay. uh, during the diagnosis, but I went home and I told my father. Okay. I was in Toronto at the time. Yeah. And I know your mother, I had just, the time. your mother had just passed, correct? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. So how did, what did your dad say? That's what you? brought me back to North America. Okay. Um, you know, my father is really extraordinary. I'm very much a daddy's girl. But my father, you know, when you, I think part of it was I had intuited that something was wrong with me for many years. And, you know, in a sense, hearing about it, even if it's such a potentially fatal diagnosis was a relief, at least now we know what's wrong. Yeah. And, um, Remember, my father just lost his soulmate, my mom, literally, I don't know, a few, like seven or eight months before that. And he was incredibly calm. My father is a, you know, a scientist by training. And so he also perhaps felt a sense of relief that now we know what's wrong. We can do something about it. But he's also very much a Zen master. He's also someone who, along with me, practiced Buddhism. He has a particular outlook in life that is eternally, I don't want to say optimistic, because I'm also not of the positivity cult. I feel that that in and of itself is as harmful as as sort of being pessimistic, because it's just not being authentic if you're being positive all the time about everything. And um, But my father was just very calm. He was very calm about it. Yeah. Um, and one of my, he was my, one of my greatest, I mean, he was my greatest support system, uh, along with a couple of key amazing. friends during that time. That's amazing. I'm a daddy girls too. So I, I, yeah, I get that. Um, and then, I mean, you know, you said F this, I'm going to kick this thing in the ass. Um, and you wrote your experience through your blog, the yellow diaries. Um, and it, it had a huge response and I think you were shocked by that, right? Like, did you expect such a supportive response? 
Yeah, I didn't write it for any sort of response. Yeah, no, I wrote it because you know, going back to what I was saying. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I mean, writing is obviously not just therapy for me. I mean, I, I consider myself a writer. You know, the words and the turn of phrase are very important, and how I express myself through writing, and I express myself very differently through writing than than through speaking. So. <laughs> I was writing it out and it was, um, I was writing it in a fit of steroid induced madness one night, you know, trying to figure out what the what, best way, how to put this out there, the best way. Yeah. And also, also because I was sort of questioning this notion that was sort of surrounding me like a cloud of why I should feel ashamed about my diagnosis. Because at that time, my team, as in my agent, my managers, and all of that were telling me, don't tell anyone about the diagnosis. Really? And there was, and this, yeah. Wow. This was in Canada, remember? And mm. my team was based in LA and Canada. And, um, you know, I was encouraged not to go public about it. And, uh, and, and, you know, and I was struggling with that. And I thought, why? Yeah. And I was still processing it. And I was still trying to go about my life like it was normal. And this, 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 this fatal disease was sort of, um, you know, an inconvenience, like having pneumonia or something like that. Um, so once I passed through the denial stage, I realized I have to process this. And so writing was, was my way of doing it. And I put it out there, never written a blog before. And I was, I was taken aback, but it was also a way of breaking through my reserve. So I had always found it very difficult in my life to ask for help. I don't know if you're like this. I've heard a lot of other, my female friends were very fiercely independent, really hard to ask for help. Yeah. You know, it's almost like we swing to the opposite extreme sure. from what is expected of a woman. We're like defying this sort of, um, feminine stereotype and it's like no I'm tough and I can handle it and yeah. everything so I had lost the ability to do that and to tap into community and this was a way of of you know opening myself up to community yeah. as well and to support and I, I honestly also believe as part of my belief system is informed by what is not tangible yep I honestly believe that, you know, it was also these incredible, the incredible support and well wishes and prayers that I received from people around the world Yeah, um, that also kept me afloat. You know, you continued working, of course, because you're a badass. Um, and I know you did Oh My Gold on Discovery Channel India. Uh, you were a judge mm -hmm. on Top Chef Canada. Uh, which is, I guess, mm -hmm. one of their best, highly rated shows. Um, I actually just did an interview last week uh, with Manit Chohan. She's a uh, judge on Chopped here. Um, and she, okay, yeah, she's based. She was based in India before as well, but she she knows who you are. So I was mentioning you. Um, and then oh, you did a, uh, a a collection of stories with Satya Paul. Um, and just, I wanted to hear a little bit about uh, Ray of Hope which I think you did with HDFC. Mm. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, well, Ray of Hope, well, that, that you're referring to the Sari collection. So I had or, it, was it under uh, the Sari collection HDFC. Or, or HDFC, whichever one you want to talk about or both. I mean, I, more broadly speaking, obviously when you've also dealt with this kind of, uh, you know, uh, transformational experience, and I became a cancer graduate. I was very uh, focused on um, using my voice, obviously, to to spread awareness in every way possible. I'm certainly not 
the the first or nor the last one, but it became a kind of a mission, and perhaps a great place to 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 focus coming out of it and trying to understand my new normal. And um, so you know, so there were many many projects. You know, I, I have become in that sense a very vocal advocate. Yep. I was giving a lot of public talks. I was traveling through Canada at the time, uh, spreading the word about multiple myeloma, which a lot of people had not heard of. And um, and it's really crucial that people do hear about it. Yep. And and there's been a lot of advances in my disease and multiple myeloma, even the last ten years, actually due to this formidable woman called Kathy Guesty, okay. who heads the MMRF um, in the U.S. Actually, I think she's in Connecticut. Okay, I should connect you guys. Yeah. She's she's amazing. Well, she's just come visit hero. us. And she, yeah, whenever I can get on a plane. I know, I know, I know. God knows mm-hmm. when that's going to happen uh, right now. But um, but she, so, you know, she became sort of the shining example uh, for me and all of my low moments, I would reach out to her. And so she essentially was diagnosed with multiple myeloma probably 10 years before me when she was given a one to two year prognosis. Oh, one to two years to live and that's it. Yeah. She had a twin sister. And she got her stem cell infusion from her twin sister and, you know, due to that survived. But then she sat down at her kitchen table and said, what do we have to do to lengthen, you know, increase a patient's lifespan? What do we need to do to get more drugs? Because really it's a bit of a game of the more drugs, the more protocols you have uh, to treat multiple myeloma, the, the better chance of survival. Yep. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's a very lengthy um, uh, process mm-hmm. to get drugs uh, approved in the U.S. with the FDA. Everyone knows that, and we're probably even going through that right now with COVID, right? Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> she, because she was from, actually, ironically, from the pharma industry, so she's created this formidable organization that has actually accelerated these drugs and she single-handedly, I believe, along with obviously all the clinicians, all the incredible research and yeah. all the, all the, um, you know, all the supporters, all the money that's, that's poured into the MMRF has actually extended, uh, multiple myeloma patients lives by a few decades. Holy God. So again, yeah. So I, I feel like, you know, and, and, you know, hearing that story and actually when it's a lived experience, when you live, when you're actually living with a disease you think, yeah, that's, that's what I want to dedicate my time to doing now. And, you know, I have a platform. Yeah. I'm not great at fundraising. I don't claim to be an expert in pretty much anything. Yeah. I'm, I have a beginner's mind when it comes to everything. So what I can do is just keep talking about my experience and yeah. sharing it. Because when I shared it, when I shared it, I think I was the first so-called Indian personality to speak openly about my cancer. Thank God. For um, and since then, there there have been wonderful like Manisha, who's a friend, mm-hmm. Manisha Koirala. She's yep. she's come out. Sonali Bendri, uh, Tyra Kashyap, um, so and many. we recently, of course, lost Rishi Kapoor and uh, Irfan. Mm-hmm. Um, but at that time, I was the first person to 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 speak about it openly, to break that taboo open. And fortunately, we've come a long way since then, because ultimately, I also believe that if something is in the shadows, it it has a grip over you. Bring it into the light, and it yeah. loses its its strength. 
And like you said, nowadays in, in India, like these conversations are opening up, thank God. Um, but they are opening but, up. But and due you to people know, why like would you, we feel Lisa? shameful about no, it? No, but it's due to people like you Sorry? that are it's due to people like you that are starting it. Like a lot of people are scared to be the first uh to people to admit or to open up, you know? Um and so it's it's very brave. And but again, let's and and again, as you said, like let, let's put it into context. You know, I have cancer. How is that? How can you perceive that as a curse or a taboo? It's honestly yeah. so many people are struggling with it. I know. It, it was just such a, such a strange foreign concept for me. And of course, again, when you're dealing with cancer and you have basically nothing to lose moving forward yeah. or and everything to gain, um. I realized that I want to speak from a place of authenticity. Yeah. Uh, I want to break open any other taboo about myself. Yeah. And that set me on a path where today, you know, there's a sense of, um, you know, I, I don't want to say fearlessness. It's not that I live without fear, but um, it, it's a great relief. It's a beautiful, peaceful place to inhabit where um, you take control of your own narrative yeah. and you share your story openly and you're vulnerable. Vulnerability is a much underestimated quality. It's, it's, uh, it's particularly a huge in the world today. It's a huge strength for sure. It's a huge strength. I was actually yeah. watching your interview with, I think it was pretty recent with Karisma Kapoor, Karisma Kapoor. Um, and, Karina, and, and, Karina. Oh, Karina. I'm sorry, Karina Kapoor. Um, That's and, okay. <laughs> uh, I, I haven't one of the Kapoor girls. I haven't been, I, one of the beautiful Kapoor girls. Yes. Um, and and the reason why it resonated with me so well is because you mentioned how you feel so, uh, so beautiful in your 40s and how you feel so much better about yourself. And I mean, I could not agree with you more. I feel so much more beautiful when I hit right, 40. Just, just, uh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. just, I'm like, I don't, why am I dying to be young again? Like, it was fine. It was great. But I mean, yeah. um, knowing yourself, being vulnerable, being open, not caring as much about what people think. It's so freeing. Um, and I think you're doing that with grace. And so I, I was watching and I was like, yeah, girl, totally agree. Like, this is the best decade ever. So... Uh, this whole aging and so far so good yeah so, so, far, so far so good, so good. nothing good. nothing to complain about nothing to complain about um Absolutely. so so close to the bone you're saying is coming out in the u.s when i don't have the exact date okay it will be coming out in the fall i will talk to your agent. i'm we'll figure that out. very excited about that yeah i would yes. love to do something around that um yes. i'm very excited i'm yeah. very excited because you know it's been it's actually been just over a year that it released in india yeah and uh touch wood it's been so beautifully received um, and you know, to be honest, if I, uh, I, and I'm working on the next book now, um, I never really wanted to write a memoir. It just, it, the opportunity came up and I found, I thought that this was a window from which to reinvent myself and to finally commit to writing as a career. And that's really what I'm planning to do moving forward. I would, I'd actually like to gracefully move back from being, um, you know, in front of the camera now I've, I've had a wonderful run of it serendipitous run of it and i'd like to concentrate on um focus really on writing and being with my kids now i think that's fantastic and i think that's a it's a graceful transition for you um and yeah that's amazing so i'm excited for the for the next phase and speaking of kids um i know you live so right now you're between bombay sorry mumbai singapore and and maybe the, <laughs> the world are you going back and forth um one my second question is how did you and your husband meet? And then third, um, I don't want to ask you if motherhood has changed you because obviously it has. Um, mm. What do you find most surprising about it? 
Okay, what was the first question again? Just talk about your husband. How'd you be? I have very low. I have very low retention <laughs> for like short term. You're not supposed to. You have, you have two young kids. That's fine. How did you and your husband meet? Exactly. Uh, we met in Toronto at okay. the time. Uh, ironically, just before I well, okay, here I'll, I'll give you the I'll give you still the Coles Notes version. Um, yeah, we met uh, a friend of ours set us up. Um, who's now a minister in, in the Canadian government. Um, and he told me about, uh, he said, there's this great charity I'm a, um, I'm, I'm a part of, and they, we are raising funds in the arts community to build uh, the first girls only high school in the Maasai Mara. It's called Artbound. You should get involved. We're going to go to India as well, blah, blah, blah. And he said, let me like, you know, hook you up with the founder. Yeah. So he did. Yeah. Literally. Um, you know, Jason had, had established this charity, <laughs> yeah. literally. Uh, so I met him. I remember we met to talk about his charity. That wasn't his day job. He was like working in whatever he does. Mm -hmm. I, I, I yeah. don't understand it. And um, <laughs> I love that. When people ask me about my husband, I'm like, like, I don't know, something. It's fine. <laughs> it hurts my brain. Well, I know. Um, yeah. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to happily float in my left brain. <laughs> I don't want to have to. Anyways, so, um, yeah, we met and we just clicked and I moved in after a month and then he proposed, I think after eight months and, uh, it was, it was also a matter of timing yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Which everything I think is. we both recognize that. Yeah. yeah. Everything. I was, Everything's. I was ready for it. He was ready for it. Uh, we just, we just clicked yeah. and I'd never really dated before in my life. It was a very weird foreign concept. Yeah. So fortunately he just, he just crash landed in my life. Well, you've had, such, we a, opposites. You've had such a nomadic lifestyle, right? Like you just kind of been everywhere and kind of going with the flow, like in a, in a great yeah. way. Um, and I love that you guys are opposites. You know, I, I like, like me, like I think that exactly. well, I, that's why I was actually intrigued, you yeah. know, because I, I don't, I don't meet. A, a lot of couples like us. I mean, of course, I, there many couples are opposites in many ways, but we are so diametrically opposite yeah. in so much of our, you know, our experiences, the experiences that have molded us, our points of view, our choices, yeah. the world that he inhabits, the world that I inhabit. Somewhere we have, you know, um, bridged the gap and it's beautiful. It's true. He grounds me in a beautiful way. It was tough though. Yeah. I tell everyone it was so tough. The first year. So first of all, uh, in the first year after marriage, I relapsed. Okay. Um, we moved houses, he moved jobs. Um, and I, I was really sort of not enjoying my time at that yeah. time in yeah. Toronto yeah. because I had lost my connection with the city. You know, yeah. yeah, I have great friends there. It's often about the people, but I didn't enjoy the climate. People would look at me. They say, well, aren't you Canadian? I said, I left when I was 16, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. sure. I can sound like a Canadian. I'm a very proud Canadian as well in terms of, you know, my origins. I'm, I, I think Canada is a wonderful country, but all, most of my seminal experiences had been outside of Canada. So I felt like a stranger in my own country. And it's a very strange thing for people, unless you've had a similar experience that, you know, it was very hard to bridge that gap. So I was not very happy. And we almost divorced on the first, on the, on our first year anniversary. Oh, I'm not surprised. It was tough. It was uh, tough. Yeah, yeah. It was tough mixing our stories and our experiences. You know, yeah. um, I was used to, for instance, was a small thing. I was used to taking off at the drop of a hat because not, not 
not from uh, an irresponsible point of view in a, in a weird way, even though I paint myself, otherwise I'm actually in incredibly responsible and I can be very right brain uh, oriented and yep. because I've had to be, because I've had to manage my own life since I was 16. Yeah. But at the same time, because in my profession, you get the call, you do the job and then you're free. Yeah. Um, you basically take those moments when you're free and you would take off, you go sure. on a vacation or not a vacation. You go and explore another part of the world. That was my lifestyle for many years. And then here I was with the guy who was like, ah, oh, I have to schedule my vacation time five months in advance. And I felt suffocated. Like, like, what do you mean? Sorry, and then, and then, and then we would schedule his vacation time as in our vacation time. And a week before that, I would get a call and I'd have to take off. And yeah. it caused a lot of friction. As yeah. an example, this is one small example no, of, course. of many things that caused a lot of friction in our lifestyle. And and we were and we were in our forties, like we were just both forty when we met. So we yeah. were also very set in our set ways. Set in your ways, yeah. So it's tough. And I think people don't talk enough about that first year of marriage, which is so difficult to blend two personalities. Mm -hmm. And so many people are getting married older and older. And it's it's bloody tough. It's marriage tough. is tough. It it's, is. It's, it's a lot of hard work. As you said, you have to take the choice to be together every single every day. day. It's not something you can take for granted. Yeah, you wake up and I'm like, okay, I can do this. It's good. And it, I mean, same. I would say yeah. that first year, I was like, I don't know. I just don't. I mean, just had that first year itch. I'm like, this is... And you're, and no one talks about this. And I'm like, if someone is telling me yeah. that they haven't had issues with their husband or have thought about divorce, you're lying. I'm sorry. Everyone has at some point. Very few have not, you know? And so yeah. Yeah. I, I openly talk about the ups and downs, but that's why we're stronger now. Like we have decided to fight through it together. Um, totally. and, and now we know how yeah. to fight, right? I'm sure you guys know how to fight now or how to. How to yes. Fight. Thank it's, you very much. Yes. It's, it's, and you know, and I've understood, like I was so hot headed and yeah, I've understood how to also approach my husband. Who's, who's a doll. Actually, he's an incredibly taller now that I look at it, <laughs> you know, but, and, 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 you know, to be honest, also this adventure that we're having in Asia was on my prodding. He was yeah. very sort of established yeah. in Toronto, had lived there. He likes stability. Yep. It agrees with him. It does not agree with me. And I wanted to be closer to India. And imagine, you know, on my bidding, yeah. he changed careers. Wow. And and we found ourselves in Asia. And that's, you know, that's a real sacrifice. Yeah. So he sacrificed, I've sacrificed in different ways. Yeah. And, you know, that's the only we, way we make it work. Only way it works. But it's so worth it. Like I think for me, marriage, it is. marriage has it's been so worth it. Married, marrying this guy has been my best decision in life by far so um, oh okay. my god I want to meet him yes. well, I, I think I think him and your hubby I feel like I already will know they'll be besties um yeah motherhood yeah. what's been the most surprising aspect of it? I know we all know it's like amazing and it's I, I'm so happy for you you have twin girls the girls are the best um yeah what's been the most surprising for you motherhood um you know, because it's been it's been uh, an interesting journey again, uh, a little unconventional journey. Yep. Because I had my twins via surrogacy, mm -hmm. um, and I was in Tbilisi, Georgia. <laughs> when I'm sorry, they were born, where I spent the first three months, <laughs> the first three months in Tbilisi with my babies alone, with my helper, my Filipino helper from um, from Hong Kong. My okay. husband had to go back to Hong Kong. Okay. So it was, it was a little surreal. Okay. Um, but I loved every moment of it. And, um, 
You know, and I had this very, now that I look at it, this, this very arrogant, um, probably misguided uh, notion that my life would continue exactly as is. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and for the first year, very frankly, I traveled a lot. Yeah. I had a lot of commitments in India. Sure. So I was commuting between Hong Kong and India, and then we ended up also moving to India. And what's surprising is how beautifully, how organically, how without any effort on my part, my needs and impulses have faded into the background. Yeah. Yeah. So it really is that sort of ultimate kind of um, practice. It's like almost like I equated with a spiritual practice. Yeah. We do this practice for years and years. Subdue your ego. Subdue your yep. ego. Yep. You know, um, and it's happened incredibly. It didn't happen immediately either. Nope. Let me say, mm -mm. I did not even feel like a mother immediately. I think it took me about a year to really bond with my girls. Of course, I That's loved fair. them to bits. No, no, of course. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. I hadn't been around a lot of young children uh, for well, a lot of my Lisa, life. Lisa, I think there's another thing that mothers don't talk about. People don't talk about like not <laughs> feeling like I didn't feel like a mother for six, eight, mm -hmm. ten months, whatever it is. Not that you don't love your children, but whether you want to call course. it attachment or postpartum, whatever, no one talks about that and the, that, that yeah. huge change that you go through in your life. Um, and I remember yeah. when I had my first daughter, I was just, like, I didn't, yeah, I, I don't think I felt like a mother until maybe a year into it. Um, and I think that's normal. Thank you. Thank no, you. I, I, I totally, that, was, that was my experience. And I'm not saying well. that to make you feel better. I honestly went through that that I went through a miscarriage and no one talks about these things, you know, and I just like what everyone, so not everyone, so many people go through it. And again, shouldn't it be taboo, especially with South Asians, you know? So I know it shouldn't be taboo. No. And here's what I have learned um, the hard way is it's, it's really our so-called struggles, our failures, the things that mark us, yeah. that connect us. Yeah. It's our difficulties that connect us. And that's where we really see our uh, deeply universal human uh, humanness or human values or humanity, however you want to term it, uh, you know, suddenly float to the surface. And that's where we feel our most intimately connected as human to human, which is maybe why I'm so passionate about speaking about all of my failures, all of my flaws, all of the things that I, I have this, this one term or this one uh, metaphor for it that I love using, uh, all the things that make me more beautiful for having been broken. And that's sort of inspired by the Japanese tradition of Kintuku Suroi, which is repairing broken ceramic using gold. Yep. And if you've never seen an example of this pottery, just look it up. It I is haven't. exquisite. There's something so arresting. Yeah, it's called Kintuku Suroi. Okay. Or Kintu, but anyways, I'm it's actually, a, I'm it's actually a Japanese. sending it to myself right now. Oh, please look it up. I mean, it's just gorgeous. Okay. Um, and I've used that as a metaphor. A lot of other people have used it as a metaphor. I've also used it in, in my book, Close to the Bone, to describe this unique experience that I'm uh, sort of embodying in this phase of my life. Of Like, for instance, I have my, my, my scars from my, you know, my port is here and I've got yeah. all these scars all over my body and I wear them very proudly. And in fact, I highlight them to highlight the fact that I'm more beautiful for having been broken. And there's this idea in our society that if you've somehow broke, been broken somewhere, failed, you know, fallen, that we're supposed to cover it up and, you know, uh, and appear 
better than you or exactly like nothing has happened instead of highlighting those aspects because that is what makes us human that's where we get our strength from 100%. that's what's enticing about a story a story you tell me a story about yourself and you tell me about all of your highlights i'm not interested you're going to lose well, me well no one wants you're perfection lose most people. no one to me scars are beautiful whether that's internal external like that's who makes that that's who makes you what makes you a person that's what a makes story. a story that's and what makes a story no, and by the way sure. you know every dramatic story needs that you yeah know, there's a dramatic tension even in every story you know all it's the, not just moving from highlight to highlight like the, i remember yeah. i gotta tell you this i think you might relate you know i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm listening to you lisa also, i'm gonna i need to plug in my power cord keep talking Oh yeah, yeah. So I I get invited to do a lot of uh, motivational talks now, uh, particularly in India, but also in Canada. And I was addressing an EO group. I'm sure you've heard of them, right? Entrepreneurs yep. Organization. Mm -hmm. um, really interesting group. Obviously, very um, accomplished, motivated, triple type A personalities. So they wanted me to do this exercise for my talk. They say, "Well, here's a piece of paper, and I want you to plot out." All of your high points and your low points, and then let's talk about it. And it's some sort of an exercise that they do. And I said, well, I'll do that for you, but I can't use a single line. And so what I realized is that while I was plotting it out, I said, so 16, I became famous overnight, you know. Um, but so that's my professional line. That's my professional trajectory. But Got simultaneously, it. emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, it was my darkest moment. Really? Right? So here's my, here's my, here's my career up here. Mm -hmm. And then here's my personal life down there. And so I started plotting that out and it was really revealing, right? Because often in my life, something I think a lot of people don't talk about and some of my highest points were my lowest points um, personally and as a human being. And uh, again, we don't talk about it. It's time to like remove the mask and talk about the struggles that are going on even behind the scenes, even behind the so-called success. Well, again, I mean, I think and that's what makes you so real. I mean, that's what you did in your memoir, right? Like you were completely open and vulnerable. Um, and a lot of stuff. Have to be. I don't see, like, to be honest, I can't imagine being any other way today. Like, I literally don't see. I said, like, does that take a lot of effort to hide things to be, you know? And I do understand. I don't want to judge either. I don't want to judge. It's up to each individual. Yeah. Yeah. To feel from the inside. But my point is at least question yourself. Why am I hiding this? You know, why do I feel uncomfortable talking about this? If it feels true to you if it's really something that's important to you and it's something that springs from your inside absolutely i mean nobody it has a right to judge you no. but if you are hiding things because you are thinking about i've been taught this this is this is the way that everyone lives uh you know this is shameful you've got to start asking those difficult questions of yourself and maybe you need to start you know, taking different decisions and, and doing the work to allow yourself to live more authentically and in a freer place and to release those suppressed also emotions and stories, because that can be also very, very destructive. Ask me, I actually believe that one of the reasons why I manifested cancer was because of a lot of suppressed emotions and pain. Wow. That's so, I mean, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I feel like with our culture, it's just, it's been so difficult to open up with so many things. I mean, I know recently there's been uh, a loss in Bollywood with uh, Shushant. Um, and I just, yeah. and I, I just feel like, our, you know, it's mental health and wellness, even 
I feel like that, I don't know, I mean, you can tell me more. Is that conversation conversation happening in India? And, and are people opening up more about that and being able to? Not enough. Yeah, uh, not, not nearly yeah, enough. Yeah. Not nearly enough. Yeah. It still is a bit of a taboo. Of course, there's a lot of progress in India. Uh, again, I want to highlight that, you know, contemporary India, particularly urban India, there's great campaigns. There's, you know, mental health awareness campaigns going on. Yeah. Deepika, I think Deepika Padukone mm-hmm. has mm-hmm. spoken openly about her struggles with her mental health issues. Yeah. Um, so there is that, but it's, it's not, it's not nearly enough because it's probably one of the most prevalent diseases to be honest. hundred percent. And it's a disease it and disease. there's no, and you know, at some point or the other, I've struggled with depression. I know that. I've struggled with with eating disorders, which are really mental disorders. You know, I, I think they're not really physical have. disorders. And, and I mean, you happen to be we in the all public have, eye. So, but I would tell you, ninety percent of my friends have probably gone through one or the other. You know, and yeah, and, and, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and why? Don't talk why? About and why it. are we hiding it? And and you know, but again, if I, you know, if I can say this, I wanted to actually highlight something. Of course. Because I've had the privilege and the opportunity to obviously live in so many diverse places. And I've lived in India itself and still maintain, I mean, we have a flat in Bombay. I go back and forth and maintain a very strong connection with India. And I've lived outside of India. Um, obviously, you know, in the recent past, Hong Kong, now Singapore, et cetera, et cetera. So I have a lot of contact also with the Indian diaspora. My perception is sometimes the Indian diaspora or the community outside of India can cling to and be even more conservative. 100%. Then, sorry. 100%. Then, then, then India itself. Oh my God. In India itself, I'm seeing a lot of breakthrough moments for whatever it's worth. And look, granted, India's complex. We're talking about 1.3 billion people. It's mm-hmm. a complex society, cultures, languages, the politics that goes on. It's incredibly complex. And still, despite that, the next generation is really, uh, their voices are rising to the surface. They're standing for things. They are starting to break down the system. They're starting to question the patriarchy. They're starting to question traditions that don't resonate with a contemporary, uh, more liberal kind of a, a attitude towards life. And yeah. and and not dismissing everything. Yeah. You're still Indian. If I take away uh, a particularly outdated ritual that actually ends up hurting or harming people it doesn't make you less indian no i'm sorry no, it of doesn't course not. Of course but what not. ends up happening and i understand when the diaspora clings to a lot of these outdated rituals and notions because i think that they're they they feel that they're they draw their identity from that because yeah. they're not they're not intimately connected with india anymore and there's there's a sense of con- of of confusion and we have to question these notions and i always put it out there please don't be you know Blind. I mean, I don't know. It's yeah. beautiful to be able to bless. Yeah, don't be blind. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't be blinded. You know, or, it's or, beautiful. Or you guilted. have a beautiful opportunity. Or guilted, and I mean, I think you guilt's... have or shamed. Yeah, or that. shamed. You know, mm-hmm. and you're carrying forward. Often, I want to highlight this: you're carrying forward traditions that are dying out in India. Yeah. Um, so sorry, I, I gotta we gotta wrap this up in about ten minutes because the studio's cl- closing. Otherwise, Lisa, I can talk to you forever. Sorry, baby, I I can ramble on as you can no, tell, and we have a lot I, to talk about. No, but no, no, that's fine. We can I wrap. I can talk to you for another hour, my friend. Like I have no problem. Um, we'll we'll have to do this again. We'll do a part two. We should continue this. Oh my we god, definitely continue I this. love yes. talking to your kidding. Okay, so I offline, just, I just <laughs> want to talk to you about current projects. Um, 
You are uh, doing or have done A.R. Rahman's film, 99 Songs. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the Amazon original series, Four Shots More, Please. Um, you are yeah. also like... Four more shots, please. Four yeah. more shots, please. Okay. And then you are also, uh, like we mentioned, you have three more books coming out with Harper Harper Collins, which I'm very excited about. Mm -hmm. And you can tell me more about that later. Me too. Uh, mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and I know you're doing Insight Vacations. You're their global luxury travel brand. You're the face of, of them. Uh, uh, not not right now. Not right, not now. right now. Okay. Yeah. That's done. And then yes. what about Rado Watches? Are you still with them? Yes, yes. Okay. I've been their long-standing ambassadors. Long-standing ambassador. But, so. you know, beyond that, I think, you know, uh, for me, I, I, you know, I'm very blessed. For instance, working with AR yeah. was uh, beyond magical. Okay. Um, so that that's a beautiful project. I hope. I mean, obviously, the dynamics have changed in the business. We're not sure. It was, it was, it was supposed to release now. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask you, <laughs> um, when was that coming out? It was supposed to release now, and okay. I'm not sure exactly okay. what the plan is. It will release soon, and it, I, I know that it's going to be, an, you know, an absolutely phenomenal film. Yeah. Uh, Four more shots, please. Has been a breakthrough. It's been a huge hit the second season in India. Yep. And I think beyond. And I love the character that I play of yeah. Samara Kapoor. And again, it's it's a breakthrough, and I invite a lot of again of the diaspora to watch it because. It's a it's a completely female centric narrative. Yep, a female producer, director, DOP, writer, everyone. I mean, it was, it was so much no, estrogen. I, I've actually heard of, I actually heard about it, and then when I was you know researching for your interview, I was like, oh sh oh shit, Lisa's in this. Like I have to. I I knew I wanted to watch it. It was kind of on my list. And then I was like, wait a minute, my homie's in this. Like this is I have to watch this. But I and and it's yeah, and I love the character that I yeah. that I play. It's, you know, basically sort of this Bollywood actress who's a bit over the hill who comes out of the closet. That's amazing. And you know, with so we're telling those stories and yeah. everything that we touch on and four more shots is, you know, we're we're touching on workplace sexism, we're touching on body shaming, we're touching on, you know, having kids, you know, out of wedlock. Um, we're touching on so, 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 you know, uh, infidelity, That's so amazing. many issues, yeah. uh, contemporary issues that haven't been um, talked about and in a very, in a very unapologetic, uh, Bombay way, That's you know awesome. what I mean? No, I'm very and, excited. And so I was, yeah, I was really happy and proud to be part of that project. Awesome. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm writing the books. I'm in the middle of writing the second book, but you know, more than anything, I'm, I'm also collect a lot of art. So that's a big passion as well. And I think right now though, I'm trying to use my platform to talk a lot about COVID. This has been a really difficult year for everyone. There's so much to talk about whether it's, you know, what's happened, the heartbreaking thing that's happened in the U S um, whether it's dealing with COVID wherever you are in the world and seeing how COVID is hitting the most vulnerable in India today. Um, it's almost like you don't know where to look. And, you know, sometimes I just got to like chill and watch like the real housewives. At hey, night, that's, man, that's because it's intense. It's intense in the day. Well, I, I was going to ask you, cause you know, the black lives matter movement revolution has, uh, been uplifted again, uh, thankfully. Um, how do you see it uh, from where you guys are in, in Singapore and the other side of the world? Is is there same the same kind of reaction, or are you guys is everyone there just kind of understanding and listening? You know, we've been under lockdown, so yeah. I'm also and we moved here in February. Yeah, 
Um, and I have a couple of great friends, but I don't really also know a lot of people here. Yeah. Uh, so I, I honestly don't know how other people are seeing it, but obviously because I have a very strong North American connection Yeah. and I've always been very empathetic towards the movement. I, I think it's, it's so timely. It's mm-hmm. so important. Uh, it gets me all fired up. Yeah. You know, I consider myself an ally. Yeah. Um, so I hope. I hope, I think we're seeing it's, it's just a mass uprising and, and, and hopefully the powers that be not the power that be because he's a psycho. Sorry, but I have to say it, but you (laughs) you know, the other powers that be are listening, Yeah, are listening and maybe we're going to see real and, and now's the time obviously to keep the foot on the gas. Yeah. Um, that's the main thing. Foot on the gas. That's key. Yeah. And in every way, it's got to penetrate all, again, all sectors, all aspects of society. You know, one of it is protest, but protest is also, you know, it's very political, for instance, where you choose to spend your money. If you're supporting, you know, black businesses, if you're supporting um, black entrepreneurs and black professionals and every way, um, that's also very, very powerful politically where you choose to spend your money, everything, you know, lobbying the government, you know, lobbying in all sorts of sense and even more visibility, um, uh, you know, also kind of, um, monitoring like your own personal, um, having those conversations with your own personal, uh, group of friends and family as well and educating your family, particularly in the Southeast Asian Asian community, right? It's like, Oh Lord, thank God. Finally, those conversations are happening. I don't know how far they're penetrating. But it's it's high time. No, really they are. Time. Lisa, and I'll tell you the one thing. I mean, looking at my parents who immigrated here in the 60s, um, even talking to them and listening and, and listening to their points of view on it and them watching them understand. I'm learning and understanding, even being born and raised here. So I think that's a first step for a lot of us. Besides obviously naturally supporting it, as I we all have. I have as a first generation Indian American. Um, but actually understanding what's going on. And I think a lot of us supported it have supported it will support it but there hasn't been an understanding yeah. and i think i'm me along you're with, right i think the- it, i mean sure we support it but i didn't get it i didn't really really get it and now i'm actually like you know read what people are going through and understand and listen to leaders that that have led this movement for a long time and so i think that's what's happening that's so powerful it's so powerful i so agree with you yeah. it's the information the communication it's breaking it down it's breaking it the way down. it's being broken it's down like, also process, you know like you know? how how as a community yeah. like uh, like the like the desi community owes a lot to the civil rights movement 100%. the desi community in the us would not be in the us would not be thriving and having the opportunities that they have no. were it not for the civil rights movement like that is a direct connection. But people don't get it. People don't get it. There's but, not been an understanding to it. And now people are like, again, our South Asian people are like, oh, like we are allies, but this is why we are allies. And I think that exactly to me has been the biggest change I have seen, including myself, to be honest. And so so powerful. Um, so powerful. So yeah, it's, it's a it's an interesting, interesting time to be here in the U.S. It's yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> Um, so I wanted to end this. And with- I wanted to add, I wanted to add one last thing. It's of also course. Pride Month. Of course. Yeah. Which is yep. another, you know, great thing. Um, I consider myself a strong ally. Yeah. There's been, again, a really positive movement in, in India with the abolition of yep. 377. I, know. I, know. I think yeah. just today or yesterday, wasn't something happen in the Supreme Court out there um, <sighs> in the U.S.? I've turned, up the, I've turned off uh, CNN. I know there's so much news, so but much I didn't see on. something because I... 
I think that it was uh, that you will not be fired. I think okay. that there's a workplace there. There's been a kind of a wonderful sort of positive affirmation in the workplace for okay. LGBT QIA community. Amazing. Um, well, I'm going to look that up. So I'll look it up powerful. and put it in, in the show notes up. for sure. Um, yeah, it's, you know, I'm, I, it's, it's a tough time to be in the U S but as an American, I'm just, it's, I'm so glad I'm here to be part of it. Um, and also I'm living yeah, and, 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 and to have your girls also live through yeah, it and learn yeah. through it. I mean, the three-year-old well, sure. doesn't know what's going on, but the six-year-old is, has an idea. Um, so yeah, so I wanted to kind of end this with a fun little fast round questions. Um, oh it, it, God, it, I hate No, those, you'll be fine. Yeah, you'll be fine. It. Okay. Well, I think you've already answered. I do it for you. <laughs> I know. I love you. Okay. What is your pet name for your husband? Ooh. Um, Babu. Oh, are you kidding me right now? I call my husband Babus. Shut up. I swear to God. He's mom and Babu. He has no clue what it means. And then he heard it once in Bombay and he said, what's a Babu? And somebody said, um, like, a, a, like a bureaucrat, like a fat old pot bellied man who pushes paper in India. And he was kind of destroyed by that. He was like, uh, so that's I, not. No, 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 no. like, delete, delete, delete. I love that. I'm going to maybe change mine. We don't have to be so literal. Come on. We don't have to be so literal. It's fine. I'm I'm a writer where it's all about the metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're twins because it's the meaning you ascribe to it. Yeah. (laughs) It's babus. Babus. Yeah. Babus. Yeah. I know. Bart is going to be kidding me right now. Okay. If you had to, I'm not sure if it's a co-writer, co-author, whatever the word is, a book with someone, Mm. who would it be? Hmm. Oh man, it's a tie, three-way tie between okay. Jumpa Lari, okay, Zadie Smith, okay, and Margaret Atwood. Wow, that's solid. You knew the answers right there. I'd get into bed. I'd get into bed with those three women you, any day. You to write a book. You wouldn't kick them out of bed. I love that. No. Um, and you answered my third question, which is if you had to settle somewhere. You said Mumbai, right? No, I don't know. No, no, no. Uh, Bali, Bali, Bali. Huh, that came out of nowhere. I did did not expect that. No, no. We we go to Bali quite often. I have a lot of friends and there's this amazing place. You must actually look it up. Okay. Mom to mom. Look up the the green school. The green school. I've been there. I went to Bali. The green school. I went there for my baby moon and I was there for two weeks. The Uh, green school? No, but look up the green school in Bali. Okay. It's one of the most phenomenal learning institutions in the world. It's actually started by a Canadian guy called John Hardy. Have you heard of John Hardy? I haven't. No. Well, yeah, he sold it for, he sold his jewelry business and then he started the green school and it's become a movement. Just check it out. Look at, look at the images of it and then, and then call me and, and then text me. And then we're moving It's there. amazing. I love my kids to go there. Yeah. I love amazing. my kids to go there, but we also have a house in Nelson, BC. Okay. So I love British Columbia yeah. in the mountains. So I, I'm a mountain girl, so I love mountain and ocean. So I, my ideal life would be uh, Bali and then summers in Nelson. That sounds kind of perfect. I'm going to follow you. So, yeah. That's yeah. Cool. And I figured it out. Yeah. I love it. Okay. What, and this is the last question. I mean, I had so many more, but it's fine. Um, what is your recent go-to song? During this quarantine, mm. like what song has kind of pumped you up? 
Baby shark to do to do to do baby shark to do to do to do baby shark to do to do to do baby shark And with that I'm going to have a glass of wine to do to do to do mommy shark to do Please Bhagwan stop <laughs> oh my Sorry. god it's in you now I, no, it's in you no, no. it's infusing you Anya knows how to leave you now Anya talks to Alexa every day that's uh, it's, it's it gives me like hives a little bit but yes I, I know, yeah, know the song I hear you okay well I yep. like I like your go-to song but I'm, mm. I'm gonna play the 90s song that you mentioned earlier at the end of this uh, episode okay I literally I had I had to cut down like 10 or 12 questions because I know we could talk forever that's okay I know we've rambled on no I really I, enjoyed this I love you I love this I love reconnecting yes it's awesome baby we gotta we gotta exchange deets and All, yes uh, and uh, stay in touch always So I'm pretty sure Lisa and I could have kept talking for another hour or so, but I think the studio lights are turning down and my dear friend Neil is wondering when this is all going to close. Um, but guys, seriously, please, please check out Close to the Bone, Lisa Ray's memoir, and please follow her at Lisa Ronnie Ray on, on all social media. And as always, you can follow me at Ami Tuckered Out. Thank you for listening. I will be back, maybe solo, maybe with a special co-host guest. We don't know yet, but stay tuned. Thank you. This is Let Me Tuckered Out. <laughs>